This episode of Truth Table is brought to you by InterVarsity Press, whose vision is to catalyze redemption, restoration, and revival in our divided and broken world. Visit IVP's website at www.ivpress.com. Sisters, how y'all feel? Brothers, y'all all right? If this is your first time at Truth Table, welcome to the table. And if you've been sitting at the table with us all these years, we are so grateful that you have been listening to us through these years, and we are inviting you to partner with us and support our work at patreon.com slash truthstable. Now pull up a chair and have a seat at the table with us. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm Akemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, see how you doing, girl? I'm doing good today. You know what, we were just chatting off, off recording off recording just a moment right. ago about about hairstyles for upcoming events and all and so that was a oh. conversation i thought it was i thought you were talking about the uh moment that you therapized me before we came on yes, but, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that too <laughs> therapy and hair i'm saying faithful are the wounds of a friend <laughs> <laughs> exactly i appreciate when you do that's i do okay. like, that's okay. and, I and like neutral. Right. Kimberly also gives me real talk too it, it usually is like <laughs> Now, let me tell you what, I would not be X, Y, Z. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> That's true. That's exactly how it and is. I re- and I receive it. I put it, in, I put it in my little pot of keepings. I'm like, let me keep it over here. And I, and I, I gave her a word of keepings as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I receive, I receive, I receive. I'm like, you right, you right, girl. <laughs> So, or, or right enough, right enough to keep. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that we are back here at the table and we are here and it is a black girl magic episode. Cue the charms. And I am so <laughs> excited to introduce to you our black girl magic guest, y'all. We have Mekdes Hadis here at the table with us. Hey, Mekdes, how are you doing, girl? Hi, ladies. It's <laughs> such an honor to be here. We are so glad to have you, and we are, you know what, actually, let me pull out, you see, your book. No, some of them don't see, but we see. You don't (laughs) see, we see. see. The the Patreon people see her book that I'm holding up, A Just Mission, y'all, so... To her about this and all the things. So, but let me just tell you a little bit about Mechness just in case you don't yes. know who she is. Okay. So, let me start now. You know, I love reading the bio now. <laughs> Mechness Hadis is the author of A Just Mission Laying Down Power and Embracing Mutuality. She founded Just Missions, an online community that elevates diaspora voices and equips Western allies to become mutual partners for the work of the gospel in 2020. She thrives in spaces where she can advocate for an equitable and sustainable missions movement. Originally from Ethiopia, Mekdis moved to the U.S. in 2003 to pursue her education. Uh, She has a B.S. in communications and a master's degree in organizational leadership. She is the project director of the Racial Justice and Reconciliation Collaborative for the NAE, National Association of Evangelicals. Her husband, Hermias, and her two kids and uh, all live in the greater Charlotte area. Welcome to the table, Mechdays. We're so happy to have you, sister. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we uh, were able to connect a few years ago. I, I want to say that mm-hmm. we, we had a Truth Table Live event. Yeah. And you were there in the audience. And it's not often that we get to meet people who listen to the podcast or kind of follow our work. But when we do, it is always a real treat. And I have always remembered you. 
uh, from that moment. And, and, and both Akimni and I have kind of a, a special place in our heart for people who um, represent kind of our diasporic yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> listeners of Truth's Table. And these are, these are Black women from, uh, in your Absolutely. case, Ethiopia, but from all over the world mm-hmm. where Truth's Table has been a become a part of their sisterhood as well. So I'm really excited to have you here for that reason as well. And oh, another you. thing that we were just joking about and, and chatting about before uh, we, we hit the record button for this particular episode <laughs> was about our names yeah, and, uh, and about your name and the ways in which sometimes our names are uh, uh, misspoken and mm-hmm. what we do about that. So I wanted you to talk about the beauty of your name. How sure. we ought to say it? <laughs> what does your name mean? And 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 also just put put a little extra um, emphasis on that so that people <laughs> when they hear it that they get it right next time. Sure. So my name is Mekdes, and Mekdes means uh, Temple of God, like the Holy of Holies. So um, that's the inner place. And in Ethiopia, when you name your child, it's kind of a prophetic word that that's what you hope for their lives, right? So when my parents named me like this, their prayer was that I would, you know, represent God's holiness. <clears throat> and so I've always been told, actually, that that's a big name to live up to. But, um, you know, I love it so much because I feel like knowing Jesus and following him, that's what I get to do. He lives in me. So I am the holiest of holies, you know, in that sense. Um, but yeah, it's Mekdes. It gets mispronounced a lot. Some people call it call me Mekdes. <laughs> Just kidding. But no, um, I, actually what I get a lot is uh, Mickey When I was in college, kids used to say Mickey and just be silly and funny. Um, and then it's really interesting, you know, I, I came from Ethiopia when I was 19, went straight to college, predominantly white college. And I remember, you know, I would meet people and they would be like, can I just call you M? Like there's just this dismissiveness about my name. They just couldn't be bothered to learn it. And they would say, can I call you M? And I would say, no, like I had to learn all of your names and none of it is familiar. Um, And yeah, so that's been an interesting journey of like, no, my name has a meaning and it means temple of God. So you have to call me by my whole name. It's not about your conveniency, but you know what it represents. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's just a, it's a reminder how the the avoidance, even of momentary uh, discomfort. Mm Mm-hmm can cause us to be so harmful to our neighbor. Just the discomfort of having to just sound it out and get it wrong and being submissive and saying like, get it right. I'm sorry to bother you. I'm going to say it again. But to avoid just that momentary discomfort, knowing that it would harm our neighbor. And and Mm -hmm. I think that's for all of us to think about even in this moment, like what is it that makes me so uncomfortable (laughs) that I'm willing to dishonor my neighbor neighbor. for a moment, not to lean in, right? My pride is so big around that. Mm -hmm. So I have heard you share, just as a follow-up, before we go to our break, I have heard you share your your testimony story. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so profound, especially in light of this prophetic name within Mm -hmm. your culture that you have been given. Mm -hmm. Uh, can Can you help to put those two things into conversation before we go to our, our break about why your name, this, this, mm-hmm. the, the temple yes. of God, how that lines up with your actual testimony of conversion. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's, um, 
I think, again, it's uh, it's prophetic, right? And so I've always, I don't know, I think my parents spoke in, into me that I would be set apart for the Lord, you know, and that's really been my journey with God has been um, just a single pursuit of the Lord, you know, um, and that, um, you know, Jesus um, as my savior, Jesus, you know, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity in me um, has given me this beautiful journey that I get to experience with him. And um, I was saying earlier, like when I came to know the Lord, there was this light that just lit up in my heart. And I, I you know, I just always like I, the best way I can describe it is I can close my eyes and there's still light. I don't see darkness. I see, I see light, you know, I see the Lord in me. And I think that has just allowed me to, um, I, I guess, living up to my name, living up to the expectations of my parents and my, my uh, community has allowed, given me the freedom to pursue him, you know, to say, this is what I'm made of. I'm, I'm made for him. You know, I'm, I'm, a temple of God, I need to, uh, you know, pursue him and keep in steps with the spirit and pursue righteousness. Um, and yeah, so I feel like that, that has given me, I guess the best thing I can say is my name has given me the freedom to walk out my faith in the way that the Lord calls me, um, to. Amen. Amen. Freedom and whom the sun sets free is free. Indeed. Amen. And we know that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, on that note, let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we will still be here at the table with our black girl magic guest, Methodist Hadis. Don't go nowhere. Keep it locked. <laughs> it's been one year since a just mission by Methodist Hadis came out. And its message is just as important today as it was one year ago. Mekdes, an Ethiopian-American mission practitioner, weaves together theology and stories from diaspora groups to show how white supremacy infiltrates Western missions and disrupts grassroots missions and local leadership development. Truth Table listeners can save 30% off a just mission when you use promo code TRUTH23. That's promo code TRUTH23 to save 30% off when you order a just mission from ivpress.com. All right, and we are back at the table with our sister, Mekdes Hadis, author of a just mission. <laughs> we are, I want to segue into this book because um, it has, I have heard, I had the honor of endorsing it, but I also have heard such great things from other people about your book and the ways that they're going to be incorporating it um, into their mission work, particularly um, black missionaries, you know, and how they, how this is a very invaluable tool, uh, a resource, I should say, you know, for them. Can you talk to us, Magnus, about your own um, journey into uh, creating a just writing a just mission. What motivated you? What led you to decide? You know what? We need a book about this, and I'm the one to write it. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. So you know, as somebody who um, came to the U.S. at, at after college, I mean, for college, I kind of had this love and desire to connect with the global body, you know, body of Christ. I came because 
the Lord was calling me into full-time ministry and I didn't see a way to do it back home. I had the means to pursue, you know, uh, other opportunities. So I actually got a full ride scholarship to go to this Christian college that I went to. <clears throat> and I was so excited. I'm like ready to serve the Lord back home. I was, you know, um, sharing the gospel left and right with my friends, discipling people. And so I just wanted to do it here. I just saw no hindrance for me to come as an Ethiopian and share the gospel with Americans and, you know, lead them to Christ. Mm, and we, that was really, really need. yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that, and that kind of was like this naive belief that I had that th that would be possible and it should be. But in the context that I was in, I kept getting, uh, blocked in a sense, like there was no framework for people that were supposed to identify Christ in me, see my leadership skills and say, hey, we need you. Like you're actually, you know, a part of the global South. Like these are the things we need your voice in. They were people that kind of pushed me off and were like, wait, we don't know what to do with you. They were used to seeing people like me uh, only as receivers. They had no space for someone like me who said, no, I want to be a part of this. Like, let's go change the world together. And so I kept getting like pushbacks, you know, and um, they would go plan mission trips to Ethiopia, let alone other countries. They would plan mission trips to Ethiopia, to a city I grew up in, in Addis. And they, nobody bothered to ask me, hey, do you know a church? Hey, what should we do? What should we wear? Like they would wear these random long dresses to go. And I'm like, you don't need to do that. It's a, a capital city. You can wear whatever you want. You know, it has nothing to do um, with how you need to share the gospel. So there were just these random things that I would see. And at that time, I didn't have context to think through it as kind of, you know, this is some of it is racial bias. Some of it is they just, you know, have no understanding any cultural context to what's happening. Um, you know, all of, I didn't know. I just was coming from Ethiopia thinking I'm beautiful, black, and, you know, I'm going to do right. amazing things in the world. But unfortunately, this Christian spaces that I kept finding myself in kept telling me this, you know, um, I guess indirectly were sending me a message. No, we don't need people like you here to be leaders. We need you to be constant receivers. So people like me were being pushed in this perpetual state of being a receiver, you know, somebody who is always led. And I realized the Western mission movement was not made for people like us. It was actually made for only white evangelicals and so as somebody right now who's raising black, you know, evangelical kids, that's, you know, that's how I'm raising them, then how do they fit in that when the greatest message that Jesus has given us is to share the gospel, you know, make disciples of all the nations? How do I send my kids to these types of institutions and tell them this is how you need to serve the Lord? No, there's no space for it for them. So I have to create that framework for my children. Really, I did it for my kids. I did it for the next generation of Christian leaders, specifically people of color who need to see God in his beauty, it, but in all of the contexts that he exists, you know, he does not just exist in the white context. He exists beautifully in our context as well. And so we have to create those frameworks for them to think through. 
and to identify evil in other systems that have impacted our communities. Why are our people in a perpetual state of needing a white savior when there are very simple methods to break that cycle, you know, from it. And so it's all connected with how, uh, you know, aid work is done from Western institutions. And when you literally mission organizations are replicating that in their, you know, systems and it doesn't work. It's a perpetual state of keeping the poor as poor so capitalism can reign. And those are things that we need to talk about and expose so that our kids can be true gospel carriers around the world and break free of this chain that, you know, that all these um, institutions are imposing on them. So, yeah, that's what I, why I wrote it. And I think it's really important for specifically Black parents and Black, uh, you know, children to read it. So, so helpful. I mean, I, I think it's good for everyone. Uh, yes. Anyone who is a believer. Yes. <laughs> uh, you, uh, be sure to pick up this book to check it out if you haven't already read it. And if you have read it, be sure to pass it on to someone else. So, um, so Beck, one of the things I was listening to you and one of the terms that you use, which is in America, in the American context is a hot topic term because we look at it largely sociopolitically is the term mm-hmm. evangelical. Now, mm-hmm. uh, people who are seminary trained in my mind should have a handle on yeah. kind of its historical roots and kind of the check boxes of what makes that so versus it being just a catchphrase for mm-hmm. uh, a Christianized um, republicanism yes. or religious rightness, right? So when you're using the term evangelical on a, on a, on a global way, what do you mean by that term? Yeah, so by evangelical, I mean um, Christian or a person who believes in uh, Jesus Christ as the sacrificial lamb for our sin, um, who believes in the Trinity, you know, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who believes that uh, Jesus is the only way to God and to reconciliation with him. Um, and that without the blood of Jesus, you know, there's, there's no reconciliation with God. And so that is, that is what I mean. And, and yes, I understand it's politicized in America, but that's again, what, what I really push against even in the book is this idea that even evangelicalism has been kind of taken over by Western definition of it. But there are faithful evangelicals all around the world. It means like good news, right? It's like carriers of good news. It actually um, kind of, uh, it, it, it paints a great picture of the Great Commission, you know, because Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of the nation, teaching them to obey and observe everything that I've commanded you. Um and that is what an evangelicalism is, someone who goes and even uh, evangelizes and makes disciples of all the nations and teaches them, you know, the, rec- the path to reconciliation to their creator. Um, and so that's how I use it. And I'm proud to use it because I have a different experience of it apart from, you know, uh, what America has made it to be. I came to know the Lord through it, uh, through, you know, as an evangelical. And so I, I have no ill, you know, kind of, um, 
feeling about being coined as that, but I always say I'm an Ethiopian evangelical Christian because I understand the difference uh, there is here. Well, and yeah. you know, it, I was going to say, you know, and we know a little bit about your your mother's story, your mother's yes. kind of her her kind of convergence story. Mm-hmm. But I think for the listeners who don't know that, I think that probably underscores a bit of what you're saying right now. What it mm-hmm. means to be an Ethiopian evangelical and kind of um, the healing in many yes. ways, physically and spiritually, yes. that she mm-hmm. experienced within that context. Yes. Do you mind just get it, letting our listeners in on just a bit of that? Yeah. So I grew up in a home with an Orthodox Christian dad and an and an evangelical Christ, Ethiopian evangelical Christian mother. Um, in Ethiopia, about you know, 70% or 65% of the population is Orthodox Christian. It's one of the first black, you know, Christian nations in the world. And so very proud of our Orthodox traditions and history. Um, about 75 years ago is when Ethiopian evangelicalism started and missionaries came, you know, and um, shared uh, the gospel in a new way uh, to actually part the southern, mainly to the southern part of Ethiopia, which was not Orthodox Christian. And so um, evangelicalism came that way. We have about, um, I think, like 18% of the population that is evangelical. It's growing exponentially right now. Um, and then we have a Muslim, you know, uh, community as well, about 30% or so. But my mom came to know the Lord through, um, she was chronically ill. And when I was about four years old, somebody invited her to a healing service in an Ethiopian evangelical church. And she experienced miraculous healing. And through that, the Lord called her to himself. She experienced, you know, the gift of the, she was baptized by the Holy Spirit. She experienced healing and freedom. And right after that, she just became this new person. And so I watched her growing up, loving on me, on my siblings, my dad, in just tremendous ways, you know, and I fell in love with the Lord through her. She was the person that woke me up every morning through prayer, her hands on our foreheads every morning. There was no like, wake up, you know, window opening, never did that. She just kind of prayed through, a, through you know, our, our morning routines. If I woke up earlier than her, um, you know, I, I, I saw her kneeling and praying and reading her scripture in the evenings after she puts us to bed, she would pray for us. Um, And then she would go into her prayer closet. And so that was just a beautiful example of who Jesus is into my life and what love looks like that I fell in love with him. So that was completely apart from any church experience, you know, that I may have had. Um, I saw him up close and personal through one of the people that I love the most in the world. And um, yeah, and so that that really, I have definitely a tender, you know, uh, spot for, for the church um, and for the way that the Lord drew me closer to him. What a testimony. Mm-hmm. What a testimony. And not everybody can say that, mm-hmm. you know, that they had a praying mama that woke them up 
through prayer, like by the laying on of hands, is just so beautiful um, mm-hmm. and powerful. And hearing about miraculous healing too, mm-hmm. right? That's something that we on the West tend to not believe in anymore, right? Because we don't see it. You know, we might say it with our mouths, but we, do we really believe in our heart that God can heal us? And so, um, so hearing that the Lord used that as an avenue in a way um, to draw your mother. Um, to himself is uh, really powerful uh, to hear. You know, uh, you you talk a lot about your own narrative, your own social location. And I love that you um, locate yourself and qualify your evangelicalism as an Ethiopian evangelical, because there's a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because there's a difference and there's an important distinction there. Um, And so uh, even in your book, um, a lot of that comes through, you know, your faith and your, your, um, your social location comes through in in the book, A Just Mission, I would love to hear from you about um, the reception of the book. Uh, what has uh, what what has uh, surprised you about the reception of the book? What are some great things that you've heard? What are some things that you're like, oh, wow, I'm going to, you know, take that to heart or maybe I'll do, you know, a part two or, you know, like what have you, what, what, how has the book been received? What has um, been a surprise to you? Maybe there's a group that you didn't expect was going <laughs> to take to the book and they did, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah Cause we know how that can be as writers. So yeah. <laughs> tell us your thoughts. Yeah. So um, I would say first and foremost, uh, people of color in the mission movement, um, they have, you know, reached out and said, we feel seen. It's almost like you've written my story. I've heard so many people say that, you know, and so I'm so grateful. That's like that, that by itself, I'm like, I'm done. I don't need to do anything. If people can read it and feel seen and kind of, um, you know, feel affirmed in their journey, then I'm so grateful for that. And then, uh, you know, uh, missionary kids are the other group that have said, this is why I cannot ascribe to what my parents have taught me, or they, they see it, you know, growing up in spaces where as a kid, you're able to hear things and interact with people differently. Then you grow up and you're like, no, I know this doesn't work because so-and-so told me it doesn't. They have real stories. And so a lot of missionary kids don't really have said no to going to carrying out the legacy mission that has been carried out in, you know, for so many years. So it's kind of stopping now. And it, this is kind of given them the affirmation they need to be like, if there isn't an organization or a system that does pursues justice through the mission movement, then we don't want to be a part of it. Um, and so, you know, those are, I think, the, the main two groups. Um, I've also obviously have gotten some resistance um, and that resistance, thankfully, isn't from my target audience. You know, my target audience really is um, pe- the individual who is pursuing Christ. Um, and so I didn't write it for institutions so that they can take it and you know, uh, kind of implemented. I was not interested in an implement implementation. We have so much work we have to do in our hearts before we start implementing anything. There needs to be, you know, mm-hmm. a process of learning, lamenting, uh, asking for forgiveness, reconciliation, all of that before we can go and be like, oh, we're doing it new. Now we, we're rebranding ourselves. So even in the writing process, I was very 
um, careful not to give steps A, B, C so that we can shake it off and move on to the next thing. Like we don't, there, you, you, my people can't be collateral damage and you just kind of rebrand yourself and keep moving. You don't have to understand how deep the issue is and the damage that is being done. And so there has been resistance from institutions, very large, very like big institutions that are like, what are you saying? We're going to squash you type of response, you know? And so I think you might have seen it on social media, certain people, you know, somebody decided to write, to try and write a review and take it very personal. So that was really, um, personally, like I didn't take it too hard and let, you know, I don't know this person. And I also know it's coming from a very evil intent. So that didn't necessarily hurt my feelings. It, I just knew the damage it was going to do and the message it was going to send for people of color in these institutions. And I knew there needed to be a public response, right. To, to change the, the, the conversation. And so a lot of African mission uh, people in missiologists actually have reached out personally and privately said, we support you. We're with you. But nobody was except one, two people was able to do it in a public sense because they were afraid they're still part of the organized, you know, institution. They might lose their uh, spot or whatever. And so there has been turmoil in large structural, you know, institutional spaces. Again, I'm like that they that's not my audience. My audience is the people that God cares about, you know. I'm not interested uh, right now, you know, maybe in the future I might be, but right now hearts need to change, people need to be heard, the narratives need to be challenged. And so my takeaway from that, you know, maybe as a second step to this is we need to highlight more and more stories of um, especially diasporas that are living here in the United States, the immigrant churches who are raising faithful believers, the second gen who is under-resourced and neglected, like these immigrant churches, first-generation churches, they don't yeah. have a way to disciple their kids. Like mm -hmm. there is nothing in mm -hmm. place. And you would like, your my heart cries out when I see these under resourced churches, um, I'm like, well, how do you say you're going to a mission trip when two miles, three miles down the road, there's an immigrant church that is barely surviving? And so, mm -hmm. I think for the people that have a heart for true, like gospel work, true kingdom work, the work mm -hmm. is here. And right. my eyes have shifted from okay, that's a problem that you know my my the people on the ground, my African brothers and sisters that are leading and uh, can deal with because they're more than equipped to do back home in, you know, in, in Ethiopia or other countries. But here we, I have work to do with helping right. diaspora churches figure out a way to disciple their kids away from, you know, uh, like this uh, white saviorism complexity. And so that has really been where the Lord has been shifting my heart. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. And I just, I hear your passion, mm -hmm. you know, and I hear um, even with tears, you mm -hmm. know, um, welling up um, your passion for not only the diaspora, but the, the immigrant churches mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, the second mm -hmm. gens and making sure that they 
um, grow up with the fear and admonition of the Lord um, and are not discipled into Mm -hmm. um, a counterfeit Right. Yeah. You know, Christianity that yeah. erases their identity mm-hmm. um, and doesn't acknowledge their the African contributions to the faith, <laughs> which is very, very critical, you know, I think uh, to our yeah. our um, formation, you know. And so thank you so much for sharing that yeah. with this. You know, so we want to shift gears into our force fun segment. <laughs> this is the fun. We like to think it's the fun portion of the interview. <laughs> Where we ask you a couple fun for us. It's fun for us. A couple of lightning round questions. These are probably the hardest questions oh, you're gonna ask. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually gonna mix it up a little bit. Okay. Um well I well maybe I won't make well I am gonna mix it up a little bit. We we won't know. People won't know. Go ahead. They won't know. Okay. If we were to get into your car right now and ride with you. Mm. What album or what song or what will we playing? Maybe it's not a song. Maybe it's something else. What will we be playing in your car? What will we hear? I have kids, so you will be listening to. It's funny because we're actually listening to a friend of ours who's an artist. His uh, it, his name is his artist name is, or stage name is Rapids Martial Arts, and he has this summer. Um, I guess. Um, whatever collection that he just released. There's a song called Bora Bora that my daughter has had on repeat. So you'll be hearing Bora Bora. Bora Bora. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Bora Bora. <laughs> awesome. All right. Awesome. Okay. Here, here's our next force fun question. I, I I did want to say this as we close out that last piece. It 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 just struck me. And this isn't necessarily force fun, but I just wanted to say this out loud. It struck me that the same experience that you had coming to school um, in the States. Mm-hmm. Is the same way in which mm-hmm. uh, the critics, um, in the way it's very similar to how the critics also responded to their discomfort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when they could not simplify you down to just one letter to describe your name, but they yeah. couldn't simplify your your your, your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. when they couldn't control your work, right? You mm-hmm. you saw kind of this frustration mm-hmm. and really unkind mm-hmm. response. And we just wanted to say publicly that we lament that and that we mm-hmm. grieve with you and that Absolutely. we want to honor and validate your work. And now Thank here you. is your question. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and people who listen to the show, they know that I am a Marvel fan. And so mm-hmm. if you had a superpower, Mechdes, mm-hmm. what would it be oh, and gosh. why? Oh, I almost want to say like X-ray vision or something like that. Is that what it's called? Yeah. See through. Yeah. Just see through people, you know? Now why? Why? I don't know. And this could also be, I I do have the gift of discernment. And Mm -hmm. so I'm always like cautious and kind of check the spirit before I get into anything. So maybe why? You know, it's just better to know what you're dealing with that's right, yeah. that's right. i i i understand mm-hmm. i understand i understand <laughs> it makes sense to me yeah. um you know we are complicated people are complicated oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know so okay so our last question okay one gotta go mm-hmm. now if these last names don't ring a bell let me know, and I'll okay. give you the full names. Okay. And if these names still oh, ain't yeah. registering the girl, I can give you a diasporic list. Okay. <laughs> and I can give you an African diasporic list if you need. But let me see what you can I, do with I, I think so. I think so. I think you I, got I, it. I think, I think okay. she's going to be familiar with some of these names. Okay, <laughs> I think you got it. Okay, one got to go. Shaka, mm. Aretha, 
Anita Whitney. Oh. One gotta go. Um <laughs> maybe Shaka Khan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me why. People are so scared when it's that choice. They are uh, scared. I know. I know. And, and listen, as they should be. <laughs> I know. Shut up and play. We're assuming that she's never listened to True Stable. I know. I know. Don't ask. Don't get me in trouble. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. We've had other people who say it, and I think she'll get them before she gets you. Uh, okay. That's <laughs> Exactly. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for playing our force fun. So, and thank you for coming to the table. Please, Absolutely. this is your time to talk to our listeners. Tell them where they can pick up your book, follow you, talk to the people. <laughs> thank you. Well, my book is available everywhere books are sold. Um, it, it also has an audio version on Christian audio. So they can download it or buy it on Amazon or Ivy Press or wherever they get their books. Um, and they can follow me on social media. All of my handles are at Mekdes Hadis. So it's easy. I also have, you know, my website, mekdeshadis.com. Um, I'm getting ready to launch a cohort for people that want to kind of walk through the book and talk about how they can be um, faithful in their Jerusalem, here where they're called. So that's something they can look out for in the fall. And yeah, I'm available. That is wonderful. Yay. Looking forward to learning more and hearing Thank more you. about that cohort. I love what you're doing. And I know Thank God you. has so much more in store for you. So Thank much you. more. So Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness and um, fulfilling really the call of the Great Commission. That yeah. is what we are called to do. So Amen. thank you for showing us how to do that faithfully um, and through a justice um, lens and ec equitable you know, uh, lens. So, and of course we want to thank our sisters for taking a seat at the table with us. <laughs> Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts or excess your thoughts about this episode using the hashtag truth table. Black women. Did y'all know we have a black women's Facebook discipleship group? Well, we do make sure to follow truth table on Facebook and join our Facebook group today. Invite your homegirls to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at truth table, or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable or you can bless us at our PayPal which is paypal.me slash truthstable. Truth Table's audio producer is Joshua Heath. Our video producer is Daryl Bradford and Truth Table's executive producers and hosts are Akemini Uwan and Christina Edmondson. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye y'all.